My guest today on Mission Impact is Hugh Ballou. Hugh and I talk about what defines leadership and why moving from idea to action is so critical and too rare. How influence is key to leadership, especially nonprofit leadership, and how communication flows within organizations are so important and why they are too often ineffective. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. Welcome, Hugh. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I like to start to give people some context and just ask you, what what drew you to the work that you do and what would you say motivates you? What would you say is your why? I am a leader because I influence people and I enjoy helping people who are visionary create the skill set and the tactics to be able to influence other people. Because um, out of every hundred people have an idea, only three people do something about it. And so I, I really like working with nonprofit leaders because they have such great programs and ideas, but they need what I have to be able to accomplish their work and f- completely fulfill their mission that, rather than getting stuck part way. Yeah. So you, as you said, you specialize in working with leaders and particularly nonprofit leaders. Um, and there are lots of books about leadership. There are lots of people who talk about leadership, um, how, how would you define leadership? What, what is that? What does the word mean to you? Well, I spent a career of 40 years as a musical conductor. And, you know, people perceive the conductor to be a dictator. That doesn't work very well in today's world. You know, you got a bunch of union players in an orchestra. You paid them for two hours. They're going to leave in two hours, whether you've accomplished what you want to accomplish or not. They're not very sensitive. It's like, oh, I need two more minutes. No, you've paid us for two hours. We're going. So we're not a dictator because we got this little white stick. You can't really make anybody do anything. What you can do is influence people to function at a higher level. So leaders have a position of influence, and we influence people to work in the vision that we've defined. So a transformational leader transforms ideas into reality. Transformational leader is the whole methodology of transformational leadership is focused on the culture of building high-performing leaders. And you talked about influence. What what are some ways, what, what do you see as um, being effective in um, influencing the group that you're trying to lead? Well, let's take, um, you know, if I'm in front of an orchestra and it's not, I'm not getting what I want, then I need to go look in the mirror and work on myself. If I'm at a board meeting, as a nonprofit executive, and it's not going well, well, maybe I haven't been really clear on where we're going. I haven't been very clear on everybody's role and responsibility. And I have not been very clear about how I expect them to step into this place of performing. And so I've created a low from, from uh, low performing culture just by my lack of preparedness, my lack of understanding how to motivate and engage people. And right there, um, if I'm prepared, I'm on time, I'm enthusiastic, I'm an expert at what I'm doing because I've studied it and I've worked on myself, then people will respond in kind. It's the reciprocity of what we do as leaders. Yeah, and you talked about vision within that. Um, 
and you know sometimes a, an organization can be led by an with a by a leader that has a really strong vision but it seems to me that rep- reciprocity that you were talking about of helping everyone see themselves as part of that vision you know building a shared vision is is also so important how have you seen that work in organizations what's well, essential if if uh, so here's, here's an example the leaders have the vision period but leaders don't do it alone and leaders want to get other people to ratify that vision and then come back up with a plan of how to get to that vision so your vision is the idea that w- what about what are you doing um center vision transforms leaders, transforming organizations, transforming lives. So we, it's a transformational process. We do this in our, our mission through, through coaching, through planning, strategic planning, through you know, leadership empowerment, through board development, et cetera. So we do it because we've got a team behind us. And I created the vision. I've had others that have created parts of that to apply it. So we, we send the vision out and then people come back and they might have a some modification of how it sounds because it's got to be really clear to everyone. So we 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 accept those modifications so it's clearer. And maybe we've been too namby pamby, and it needs to be more profound in the language. So we you know we negotiate those changes, and then it's up to everybody. So you're in strategic planning. If you if you write a strategy and you give it to the board, you've completely cut them off at, at the knees. They cannot engage because it's your plan, not their plan. So we guide the planning process. They participate. And once they start creating these these parts of the plan, they own it. And what goes on in the culture that we orchestrate, that's my word, I'm a conductor, we orchestrate that system. There's a whole shift in the culture because we've co-created the plan based on the leader's vision. Yeah, I think that co-creation process is so important when I'm working with clients, um, nonprofit organizations, and it's usually board and staff working on that uh, strategic um, plan and, and vision. And, you know, sometimes they'll they'll kind of want me to, to write it at the end. Right. And I like literally know you. This is your plan. You need to you need to craft it. I can help. I can guide. I can. Uh, provide feedback, uh, but it's got to be yours. So that that piece is so important. So you, you've mentioned being a conductor a couple times. What would you say, um, having been a music director, having been a conductor, what, what has that taught you about leadership? Um, people respond and we can create problems. We can make problems worse <laughs> or we can make it very clear so people know how to respond. And so the culture is a reflection of the leader. Yeah, and that that culture piece is so important. I've I've um, noticed that recently, there's been so much conversation about you know folks going back to the office. Sometimes people trip and say they're going back to work. Well, we've all been at work for the last two and a half years, but um, and and that we're going back to the office because we need to have culture. Forgetting that when you have a group of people, you always have culture. Um, so, what are some things that you've seen uh, leaders be able to do to really build effective cultures well and many leaders in this time we were separated this two years plus didn't miss a lick they just went virtual but they really created systems so that no matter where people are we could be engaged so my teams i guess your teams too 
are pretty much in different continents all the time. They have people all over the world. And so it's really um, amplified our, our presence. And so the culture piece is that relationship piece. Now, in a, in a musical ensemble, like other ensembles, you know, there's a very clear culture. You know, if I want to say something to the violins, I talk to the concertmaster. I said, they need the Boeing to be this. The concertmaster turns around and interprets it in, in, in violin talk. There's, there's certain language they use. And I don't just say, hey, you over there do this. No, there's a very clear protocol there. And there's a very clear protocol that you start the rehearsal with the concertmaster right on the click of the hour because there's somebody from the union there. So you start now. And you end now. So it's my job to get the work done in the time allotted. So this is a very clear culture. And nobody criticizes the conductor. People raise the bar on their performing and they try to do, if the culture respects the leader, which is the conductor, they play as the leader intends. If they don't respect, they play exactly as I direct, which could be choppy, which could be fragmented. So there's a, there's a relationship piece that defines the culture and they respond to the person because I treat them as individuals and respect the individuals. So the culture is, Center Vision is, is my brand. It's the synergy of the common vision. So if we go through that exercise, like we talked about a minute ago, of, of defining not only the, the milestones that you want to achieve, your ultimate long-term objectives and your short-term goals and those milestones along the way, then we've got this, this energy, which really sets the bar for the culture, because now we're working together and we see how we can tag team on things. So it, it helps you prevent these things called silos, where some people are working independently and not connecting. Communi lack of communication is, is the biggest problem in most nonprofits I've seen in 34 years of doing this. And nobody knows why it's there, because we haven't created the messaging and then we haven't created the relationship because sending an email doesn't cut it. <laughs> it, it you know, 7% of a message is in the word, seven. And so what about all the rest of it? So you make sure that they understand it. So part of culture is creating that respect for one another and the relationship underneath what we do. We are what we do. We are human beings. And so we kind of look at the tactical stuff and skip over this human being part of it, which is so critical to leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And building those relationships. Um, yeah, I, I feel like every organization that I've ever worked with talks about, you know, communication challenges or silos. And, and too often I've seen the the recipe or the the solution to that be being uh, a restructuring or a reorganizing, which really only, you know, it, it kind of shuffles the deck for a little bit and then people reorganize back into new silos. So, uh, you know, paying attention to how, how do we bring people together in a cross-cutting way or, or if there's a really, you know, if there's a very clear protocol on, you know, as you gave that example of, I'm going to talk to the concert master and they'll talk to their folks, you know, that the kind of message chain, but most, most groups are, you know, the nonprofits are, are relatively small, small teams, informal. They don't have necessarily a lot of really strong protocols, but they can still, even with a small team, get siloed if they're not figuring out ways to um, have the information go across functions, 
um, you know, share information in a useful way? What are some ways that you've seen uh, leaders be able to set up some of those cross cross cutting uh, mechanisms to really help with those communication challenges? Well, when you have like we have boards that come together and board meetings, you don't work at board meetings. You report on what's happened and you structure the next happening. So you work between meetings. And the biggest mistake is we try to dig into the work in the meeting when we really need to spend time talking about what we're doing. And that's where you start fostering because I'm working on this. Somebody else is working on this. Somebody else is working on something different. But there's an interdependence in all of that. And so if we start talking about what we're doing and say, okay, here's what I could use from the communications committee. Here's what I need from the finance committee. I'm, I'm doing marketing. So we start bridging those gaps by saying, this is what I need. And by the way, I've created this data, which the two of these committees will, will find helpful to other committees. I'm going to send this to you because it'll save you duplicating the work. And so thinking about the reciprocity of how we work together um, intentionally. And then when we have committee meetings, <clears throat> we never think about the specific messages that need to be communicated to others. So I insist that when we end meetings, any kind of meeting, there's an exercise. What's a message that somebody needs to know? Specific message for somebody who wasn't here. And you start thinking about, oh, so-and-so needs to. Oh, so-and-so. And then, okay, then who's going to tell them? And how will they tell them? Or when will they tell them? You know, we need needs to happen before the next meeting because there's some stuff here they need to know so they can show up at the next meeting. Oh, it's their responsibility to find out. Well, how are they going to find out unless we create the message and then send it out? So having somebody that's the communication clearinghouse, somebody better if it's a staff person, but sometimes there's some really good volunteers that do that kind of work and are better and want to want to step up. So what do other people need to know that weren't in the room? And then how will they know that? So being intentional, if you do that in every meeting and insist on that, that does a lot to start closing that gap. Yeah, well, the other thing that made that as you were talking, sometimes meetings would just be one update after another and, and people aren't necessarily asking the question of how do all these things relate? And there may be somebody in the room who thinks that way, so brings it up, but thinking about it and asking the question intentionally about what are the dependencies how could we, you know, what what does one project have to do with another? Could could bring that and and also help people stay awake while they listen to all those updates. Because <laughs> that's another thing. I I know I can if I'm in a meeting that's all that I uh, sometimes will will uh, get distracted and so I'm not following where the opportunities are for intersection. And there's a, there's a there's a rest there's there's also how much can people take in at one sitting? Right. So. We tend to want to dump all the information at the meeting when, in fact, when you send out the deliverables for a meeting, I suggest deliverables are not agenda. So we talk about stuff. So what? Let's get something done. So if you shift your paradigm from agenda to deliverables, we're going to accomplish ABC. People go, oh, that's just semantics. No, it's a paradigm shift. We're not going to be guilty of activity. We're going to be charged with and, and driving to results. And people like that. And so if you say, okay, Two days before, meetings at seven. Here's another thing. People know they're supposed to be on time. And we say stupid things like, be on time. Well, they know that. So instead of saying we're going to start a meeting at seven o'clock, you could say to them, okay, we normally start at seven. We need to get more done this time. So we're going to start early. So please be ready to go at 
And people go, why do I come then? Well, if you come at seven, you'll be late and we're started. So that gives them a specific time because seven o'clock is sort of, oh, it's around. And we know we're a little bit late. They're going to wait for us. No, we're starting at 6.59. So our job is to start on time. So the communications start with us. We're going to start at 6.59. We're going to be through at 8.27. So we have to stay to that commitment. But if we're specific and we say two days before, we're, we're going to talk about a fundraising. So we're going to, we're going to, our deliverable is to, to define five strategies for increasing our revenue by 25%. That's very clear. So we've defined five strategies. Now we have that as number one deliverable. Now my job is to go backwards from that and figure out, we brainstorm, we sort common ideas, we prioritize the ideas, and then we make a plan. And then we assign it to committee to do the details. And so our off limits or what we're not going to do is the details of those plans because you can't do all that work and do the details of the plan in the same meeting. That's not, and it, we shouldn't, it's not a work meeting. So we, we've defined the brainstorming work. So we define what we're going to do there. So the other communication piece is what kind of meeting is it? Okay. It's brainstorming. All ideas go, it's sorting, it's focus, and then it's planning. So there's three different activities and we need to be clear on what we expect people to do. Now, Two days before we send that deliverable, we may have one or two others, but we're going to do this. So people know when we leave, we're going to have completed these this, this item. And then we send them any relevant information so they can come prepared. So it's like a conveyor belt. It's going, we get on the conveyor belt, we do the meeting and we get off. And so we've helped them get smart enough to have the data to make the decision. So it's we don't download a bunch of stuff at the same time and expect people to A, process it, think of the questions and make decisions. That's just not good. Yeah, I really appreciate the reframing of uh, an agenda to a set of deliverables and being really clear about that. Um, Sometimes I've seen, you know, items on the the list of things to talk about of we're going to discuss this today or we're going to have the brainstorm. You know, we're not making any decisions today. And be clear about that, right? Be clear about what stage of that conveyor belt you're on. Um, but the way that you framed it in terms of we're going to do X, you know, for this result, I think for me would be more ma- motivating to then do all that prep that I might otherwise leave until 645 before the seven o'clock meeting to feel like yeah. I can show up and, and be helpful. I use storyboards. I use regular paper, cut regular paper in half from the printer. And then I, I spray a board. It's it's report boards from the office supply. And then everybody has markers and they everybody's working. So they're not looking at the back of my head when I'm writing on a chart pad. The energy in the room dies. And you take one minute, one minute, one minute, you've wasted 15 to 20 minutes in a board meeting for people looking at the back of your head. And so if you took that 15 minutes and used it for people, they can they can write simultaneously. And we put the ideas up. They're active. They're creative. They're participating. That changes the culture more than anything. So people say, oh, that's silly. You should use chart pads. That's what the industry standard. Well, that's also the industry problem. And so if people are engaged, you don't have time to sleep. Plus, if you sent them the data and then we're going to process it and then up in the top, I'll say, here's the question we're answering or brainstorming around. And I'll put brainstorming. And they'll say, we're going to take these cards off the board. We're going to move them over here and we're going to group them by topic. And so it's sorting it. And then we're going to move those over into one, two, three. It's a plan. Now, some things, like you said, we're not making a decision. It's information only. 
people need to relax and just be able to receive the information. So it's our job to communicate what we're doing. And we don't do that very well. Yeah, most folks don't think. Another trick that I've seen um, an, a colleague would use, uh, have you finished the sentence, by the end of this meeting, we will have achieved X. And, and be really clear about what those outcomes are. And I use that all the time to, um, you know, just get that end state. What What's the, where are we aiming? Where are we aiming for just in this 45 minutes? What's going to be useful? Where are we going to get? And um, you form the culture, you form the culture, you rehearse the, like seven, seven guys jump over a wall in a NASCAR race and they change the tires, fill the cast and whatever else adjustments and they're back over the wall in 13 seconds. And they rehearse that and everybody has a role of responsibility. 13.1 seconds, the driver's going to lose a spot in the race. And so we need to have that fine tune. So the other, other defining piece of a culture, um, I call guiding principles. When we do, you do strategy, we we do core values. And core values are essential in that we have to be aligned. And if people aren't aligned with core values, it ain't going to work out. So personal core values, organizational core values. And so those are static, usually integrity, honesty, fairness. Um, so they, we, I take those another step. That's essential. Then they quickly become useless because it's static and people have different ideas of what that means. So we shape those in what we call guiding principles. So that shapes how we make decisions. Like one nonprofit that I worked with had had a school that didn't teach to the standardized testing in Virginia. And their students went on to college, made the honor roll because they learned how to learn. They didn't just learn how to regurgitate in a test. And so their number one guiding principle was we will not accept money from any donor that wants to change how we educate children. Essential guideline for making decisions. So they were aligned around that principle. So we don't think about the principles to apply those values to decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the the values, naming those values is just a first step. And then um, having that conversation about, well, what do you mean by integrity? What do you mean by respect? What does, how do, you know, how am I going to know whether I'm being respected? How, how do I receive that? How do I uh, what behavior shows that to me? And then the the other piece around the guiding principles, um, you know, creating some kind of set of, these are the decisions, these are the things that we're going to map anything against um, for a decision so that, so that we're being, having some consistency around how we're, you know, evaluating new opportunities or new challenges um, is so important. Yeah. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So one thing I love to do at the end of every podcast episode is I have a box of uh, random, well, they're not random because there is a box of uh, icebreaker questions, but I've got a couple here, a couple here, and I'm going to grab one for you. And I'm going to ask what the question I'm going to ask is, what's the last thing you bought for under $50 and you love and use often? 
a burr, a manual burr grinder for my coffee beans. I'm a coffee snob and you have to have a burr grinder. So all of the granules are the same size. So you extract the majority of the flavor. So it's a little hand crank and I'm going to use it tomorrow. I'm traveling. I have an electric one for home, but it's a little crank one. And it's essential because we all know hotel coffee is terrible. Well, I will have to look that up because I also am a fellow coffee snob, but I don't often grind my own. So I'll have to try that and see if that's a new a new innovation. Um, so what are you excited about? What's coming up for you? What's emerging in the work that you're doing? Emerging is I just finished a leadership symposium where I live in Lynchburg, Virginia. I had people from around the region come and attend it. I had 12 faculty members that were just out of the box, brilliant. And, um, you know, if you want to be be a, a good leader, you surround yourself with better people. And I could have certainly done that. So I'm, I'm excited about the next chapter, getting people in. We have this community for nonprofit leaders and how we get together. It's a free community off of social media. So we don't have all that to mess with. And we talk about leadership and we talk about how to help each other. So in the South, we say none of us is as smart as all of us. And that is true. Even though we got our own language, that's true. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you send us a link to that and we'll make sure to put it in the show notes so people can find it. Um, Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. You're a great interviewer. Thank you so much. It was my joy to be with you today. I appreciate Q's points about defining what del deliverables you need for a meeting. I saw a study on LinkedIn recently from Corin Ferry that found that employees spend an average of 18 hours per week in meetings, whether in person or virtual, and managers spend 22. That is close or more to half of their hours at work. So which meetings on your calendar could be an email or a shared video created using a platform like Loom? And which need to be redesigned? A key step is to define the purpose of the meeting. Why are you getting together? What are you hoping to accomplish? How are you communicating the purpose? Are folks clear what the expectations are for the meeting? Are you brainstorming or narrowing, narrowing options, making a decision? Maybe you're looking for inter intersections across different functions of work streams. Be clear about what your goals are and use the Mad Lib I learned from a colleague. By the end of this meeting, we will have fill in the blank. This is especially important for those regular team meetings or other regularly occurring meetings. Check in on those. Do they have a clear purpose? Does the purpose need to be reconsidered? Nonprofits run lean operations generally, so your time, money, and energy is precious. Taking a critical look at your meeting schedule is a good place to start. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Hugh, his full bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Custer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. And we'd like to hear from you. Take a minute to give us some feedback or ask a question at missionimpactpodcast.com slash feedback. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.